Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and today I'm going to start with David Wheaton, and we're going to continue our study on Exodus, which is going to be awesome. And then Pastor Rusty George is going to join me after that. He's going to give us a little preview of his Easter sermon, which is going to be uh, great. And then our two, uh, Dr. Randy Nelson, is going to be joining us. We're going to talk about the life of Christ. That is the plan for today. I like it. I hope you do, too. David Wheaton is the host of The Christian Worldview. You can learn about David at thechristianworldview.org. It is a uh, phenomenal uh, program on Saturday mornings. You can hear it, and you can hear the podcast anytime you like. But he's been working our way uh, through the book of Exodus with us, and it's been fantastic. David, welcome. Hello, Bill. Good to talk with you today. Yeah, especially this week. I always love Holy Week. It's always great to yes. be have our hearts and minds tuned into exactly what they should be. You're exactly right. And right here in Exodus, it's it's a it's a preview of the glory to come. And that's that's why we've titled the series How Epic Exodus Displays This Awesome God. And this mm-hmm. awesome God is nowhere better displayed than in this week, the, the cross and the resurrection. Yeah. Last time I think we were a little scrunched for time, so maybe we can go over some of the uh the more most important points from last time. Yeah, we basically just covered one chapter last time, Exodus 32, because there is so much going on in that particular chapter. You know, for for those who didn't hear it, you know, Moses had been on the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, for 40 days, you know, getting the Ten Commandments, and and there had been the last time we had heard from the people was before he went up on the mountain, and he Moses had been giving them instructions concerning how they, the tabernacle was to be built and so forth, and what the people were to do. And the people were saying in Exodus 24, eight chapters ago, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. And they're just, they're motivated to obey, they're on God's team, and they're ready to go. But 40 days later, as we get to this chapter 32 of Exodus, literally it's like whiplash. This The scene emerges of the people just doing the opposite, where God, in the midst of talking to Moses on uh, the mountain, sort of interrupts himself and says, you need to get down at once, for the people are corrupting themselves. You say, corrupting themselves? Well, what was taking place was Aaron, Moses' brother, was down there supposedly you know, in charge of the people while Moses was away, and the people started to complain, saying, come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, that wasn't true, God did, we do not know what has become of him. And amazingly, in a great act of fearing man rather than fearing God, Aaron says, well, take off the gold rings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And they took them off, and he melted them down and made it into a golden calf. And he said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and he said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, like this syncretistic idol worship and God worship all at once. It was just a, a, a nightmare horror show here. And then the last verse here in verse 6 of Exodus 32 describes the scene, Bill. It says, the next day the people rose early 
and they offered burnt offerings to this golden calf and brought peace offerings. So there's sort of, again, the syncretism here. And the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they rose up to play. And this is kind of a euphemism for drunkenness and sexual immorality, and it was common to this kind of idol worship. It's a completely debauched scene of God's people corrupting themselves. And God, of course, is just incredibly angry. Uh, the people deserve judgment. He's going to give it to them. They, they've broken the Ten Commandments, especially the first three. It's a direct rebellion against God, and Moses quickly intercedes for the people, saying, don't destroy them. The nations of the where we came from will say, you just brought them out here to destroy them. And amazingly, in verse 14 of chapter 32, the Lord changes his mind. His, he was intending to destroy the people and start over with Moses, but he changes his mind about the harm which he said he would do to the people. And Moses comes down the mountain, he throws down the Ten Commandments, he shatters them, he, he grinds them into pieces, puts them in water, makes people drink the water. I mean, th this is really a <laughs> unbelievable scene in Exodus chapter 22. And finally, just to close it out, Bill, he commands those who are on God's side— the, the, the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, volunteers to go around, and they're, they're killing, literally slaughtering those in the, in the camp who are persisting in this reveling, in this idolatry, and 3,000 men were killed. So it took a long, long time to say that, but there was a lot that was taking place in Exodus chapter 32. David, I can't help but to express some disappointment here in Aaron. Yes. Well, Aaron was just the lamest excuse in history because I didn't even mention that. You know, <laughs> Moses said, "What got into you? Why did you do this?" Right. And he said, "The people they just they just they gave me their gold earrings and I just threw it in the fire and out came this calf." That's yeah. literally what That's he said. That's so lame. Yeah, it's so lame, and it's exactly what we all do when we try to blame shift. Yep. Uh, when we sin, we never want to take responsibility. That's what Aaron did. And then you wondered to what degree did Aaron participate in the uh, sitting down to eat and drink and rising up to play? Yeah, it's it sounds like he was in some ways leading the show. It does know, with yeah. the syncretistic worship. Yeah. All right, let's move on. How how does God show that we personally reap the consequences of our sin? Yeah, this is an interesting question. It just shows that the Bible addresses almost everything in life. Uh, toward the end of that chapter, we didn't get to this last time was the fact that Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed the great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will, forgive their sin. And if not, if you won't forgive their sin, please blot me out of your book, which you have written. Mm. And then, then God responds like this. He says, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you, Behold, my angel shall go before you. Uh, nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. And so there's, what's this saying? You know, first of all, it's showing that Moses loves the people more than he loves himself. He's basically saying, forgive their sin and send me to hell instead. Now, who else was sort of willing to take the sins of mankind, not sort of, was willing to take the sins of mankind upon himself to be a intercessor and also a substitute. That's what that's what Moses is doing. He's interceding for the people, and he wants to be the, the substitutionary sacrifice for the people. Well, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did this week, nearly 2,000 years ago. He, he interceded on behalf of us. We needed an intercessor between us sinners and this holy God, and he offered himself as a substitutionary sacrifice 
for our sin. And so there's a picture of this right here in Exodus chapter 32, but Moses, God doesn't accept Moses uh, as being a substitute for other sinners, because why? Because Moses is a sinner himself. He needs a substitute for him. And he wants people, he requires people to be accountable for their own sin. And just to bring a, a current spin on this, the idea of critical race theory, which people are very familiar with today, it's very prominent in society today, exactly gets this wrong. It Critical race theory blames people for today for sins they did not commit in the past. And that's exactly what God straightens out here. No, no. People who commit sins, they're responsible for their own sins that they, they have committed. We don't project those onto people who haven't committed them. That There's a little lesson here, I think, from this passage. Mm-hmm. So, David, as I'm looking at Exodus 33 now, um, how, how does the whole dynamic of the Exodus almost change? Yeah. yeah, so we flip the page here to Exodus 33, and this event that happened in 32, the people corrupting themselves, uh, there are consequences still going on. And and God says to Moses, depart from here, you and the people uh, whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the, and you're going to go to the land which I swore to give to you. And he says, go to the land flowing with milk and honey. Then he says this in verse 3, for I will not, not go up in your midst, because you are an obstinate or stiff-necked people, and I might that I might destroy you on the way. And when the people heard this, this word, this sad word, it says, they went into mourning, and none of them put on any of their earrings or ornaments. In other words, God says, yeah, you're still going to go to the promised land. I'm still going to give you that, but you know what? I'm not going to go with you. You're on your own now. Yeah, you'll be successful, but I'm not going to be there in my presence with you as I have been, you know, pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. He's going to send up an angel. And the people are starting to mourn about this because they want the blessings of God, but up till now, they haven't wanted to be on the narrow way that honors God. But Moses is going to intercede again. He knows that this is not a tenable arrangement for the people to go without the very presence of God with them. And amazingly, Moses intercedes again, and and the Lord changes his mind again uh, from what he's going to do. So the people really need Moses as this intercessor. David, it sounds pretty typical. People want God's blessings, but they don't want to be obedient. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a narrow road. Yep. It's not. It's not the broad road that leads to destruction. It's a narrow road that that leads to life, and uh, it's hard to go down the narrow road. It can mean loneliness and isolation and standing alone and difficulties. Uh, there are lots of pleasures in the broad road, but Matthew seven is clear where Jesus preached the sermon on the on the mount. The the narrow road is the one that leads to eternal life. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing a pastor say, "It's it, whether." It's always going to be hard, so better it, better it be hard and right than hard and wrong. Okay, I'll, I'll do one quote better than that. I love in, it. In, in Pilgrim's Progress, okay. John Bunyan, the second best-selling book of all time, he says, better though difficult, the right way to go, than wrong though easy, where the end is woe. Ooh, I like that too. Very good. Yeah, I'm not saying I, I like yours better, because I like mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm going to come back after break, and I want to find out about Moses' intercession with God, what, what that was like. David Wheaton is my guest. We're talking about the epic um, Exodus displays the awesome God as we go through the book of Exodus. David Wheaton is at thechristianworldview.org. Be right back.
Dr. David Wheaton, as we continue our study in Exodus, which is a great study, by the way. If you missed any of it, I know there's a way that we will have this all organized at one point, which I'm, I, Rosie just nodded, yes, that will happen. So that's good. But we are uh, uh, in Exodus 33, and let's talk, David, about what was Moses' intercession like with God? Well, it was persistent. I think that was what would be one of the best ways to describe it. I mean, would the people would sin and they deserve judgment. God is just, they deserved it. But Moses would go quickly before God and he would start claiming God's promises to the people. And this is what he does in, does in Exodus 33 again, verse 13. He says to God, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight Consider, too, now he watch how he links the people with himself. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And then God says, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us from here. Do you see how he's doing this? God's saying, I'm going to be with you. And Moses saying, no, no, you need to be with us, not just me. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are on the face of the earth? So you can see, it, he he doesn't take, I mean, Moses is Moses is a brave man. He doesn't take no for an answer from God himself. He's he's saying, I, you know, send me, blot me out of your book. Don't, don't, don't try to just bless me. Make sure you lead us. Go with us. And so he's constantly this persistent intercession before God. And, you know, Moses, he, he loves God and loves his people. And this is the way we need to be with our own, our own children, if we have children, before God and others we want saved. We need to be persistent with God and be interceding for them. And then what does God do again in verse 17? He changes his mind. He says, I will, do, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight. And so right after this, there's this incredible scene that God shows Moses his glory. That's what, that's what Moses asked for. Show me your glory. And so God says, you cannot see my face. I'll pass before you. And he puts Moses by this rock and God passes in front of him, but only shows Moses his back. And there's a, this amazing scene of Moses wanting to be immersed in God's glory more than anything. But God is so holy, he can't be viewed in front. And so it'd be like infinitely stronger than, you know, looking into the sun. And so there's this amazing scene after Moses intercedes for the people. And would that be what we want more than anything else, to intercede before God and to, to really just be deep and deeply immersed in his glory? Mm-hmm. David, I love the persistence that Moses has. Um, I know there's a lesson in there. What do you— Doesn't uh, give up. Yeah. He doesn't give up. He doesn't give up on, on people, and neither should we. You know, those who are— contrary and think when they're never going to be saved, be persistent. Keep interceding for them before the Lord. So, again, that's such a great reminder. I think we sometimes are reluctant to continue to persist, and I think persistence changes us as well. It does. Yeah. All right, let's look at this passage in in Exodus 34, and I think this always raises an interesting point, because people who aren't biblically very literate, always struggle with the Old Testament. And is God just this God of wrath? Is all he does is just pour out his wrath? And let's talk about this passage in Exodus 34. And does the passage show that, is this a God of love or a God of wrath? Yeah. I don't want to overstate this, Bill, but this is one of the most important couple 
verses in the entire Bible, because it gives us—it's God himself saying who he is, and that's the most important thing. We can say whatever we want about God, but that doesn't mean it's true. But when God's saying something about himself, who is the truthful, perfect, sinless God, we need to listen, because now we're going to get an accurate understanding of God's character and nature. And it's been said, Bill, that one's understanding of God, and whether it's accurate, is the most important thing about you. Mm. Because if you get an, have an inaccurate picture of God, well, you're not going to see him the right way. You're not going to know how to approach him the right way. You're not going to live your life the right way. And so God explains exactly who he is you know, right after this, this encounter with, with Moses and says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with Moses as he called upon the name of the Lord. Now, here it is, verse 6, Exodus 34. Remember this passage. Then the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, quote, the Lord, God talking about himself, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Now, here's the transition. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the, the third and fourth generations. Unquote. And to this, verse 8, what was Moses' response? Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth in, in worship. This is a, like I said, a very, very important pa passage because it's an understanding of who God really is. Yes, God is a God of compassion and grace. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness and truth. He keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives iniquity. That's who this God is. But he is also a God who will by no means leave the guilty, sinners unpunished, and he visits the iniquity of fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. That does not mean that those of the third and fourth generations get punished for the sins of their fathers. It just means the principle of the corruption of sin has impact from generation to generation. In this passage is God describing who he is, and we often make the mistake today, or of all ages, of emphasizing either the, the love of God and the, his compassion versus the wrath of God. And I think today the overemphasis by far is on the, the love of God. God is a God loves unconditionally. That is not true. God is not an unconditional. If you can persist in sin and never repent and believe in the gospel, there's not unconditional love for you. There is eternal wrath for you, actually, for breaking God's laws and not coming to terms that God has offered to be reconciled to him. But this is the real God here in Exodus 34, 6 through 7. He's a God of love and forgiveness, and he's also a God who will by no means leave the guilty and punished. And our response to this is to come to God on the terms that he has offered. And there's no better time than Easter right now to repent of your sin, for God is a, a God of justice and judgment, but he's also a God of forgiveness and believe in the gospel. That's, that's the forgiveness part that God has offered Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sins so we can be forgiven and made right with God. Mm. Oh, David, you made that verse come completely alive in my head. Well, the, the, the Word of God is living and active yeah. already, and that, that right. passage is kind of hidden there in the Old Testament, yeah. Bill, yeah, but I a critical know. one, very critical passage. Yeah, it really is profound. So thank you for that, and thank you for that beautiful explanation. All right, um, we don't have tons of time. So why did—tell me this, David. Why does God review the covenant he has made with the Jews? Why did he do that? Well, 
the obvious answer is because they needed to be reminded. <laughs> they kept on breaking it. And he, and he says to uh, Moses, you know, be sure to observe what I'm commanding you this day. I'm going to drive out the people of the land, but you need to be reminded of something. And, and this is the point is we always need reminders. This is why we don't just read the Bible, you know, once on a Tuesday, then pick it up four months later and read it again. That That's not how it works. We have short memories. We need to be daily transformed by God's Word. And so God says in verse 12 of Exodus chapter 34, watch yourself when you go into the land. Don't make a covenant with the people. It will be a snare to you. Be sure to smash down their false idols, or you will start worshiping this, these false idols. Do not intermarry with unbelievers, or that's going to cause you to go astray. Observe the three feasts which I have set out for you, one of them being the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover, which is celebrated this weekend. And then there's several other, other things. In other words, remember the covenant. Be reminded of this. Don't be led astray by your own flesh and your own lusts. Hmm. All right. We only have a couple minutes left. So how let's talk about this, the trip to the mountain. How was this trip to the mountain different yeah. than the first one? Yeah, this is an interesting, interesting thing here because he's Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai twice now. The first time he went up, there was an interruption, right, by the people corrupting themselves. Mm -hmm. So this time he went up for the same amount of time, 40 days and 40 nights. But it says here in Exodus 34, this second trip up, he did not eat bread or drink water for 40 days and 40 nights. Wow. Well, that's a miracle, first of all. No one can go that long without water, I, I believe. And this time, God, of course, like the first time, God wrote the tablets, uh, the words of the covenant on the, the, the tablets, the, the Ten Commandments. This time, when he comes down from Mount Sinai, it says that Moses did not know that the skin of his face was shining because of his speaking with God. And so when Moses, when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses after he came down from the mountain, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. I mean, Moses had been in the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights, not eating, not drinking, but the very holiness of God has such an impact on him I mean, you, you, you can't attribute this to the sunburn. This was something beyond that. He actually had to put a veil over his face when he was in the presence of the people. Truly, just an, in a very unusual and extraordinary moment. I remember that moment on the Ten Commandments when Charlton Heston came down and his face and his hair were all white. <laughs> right, right. And it, and it goes back to our title, The Epic Exodus Reveals This Awesome God That Makes Amen. People's Face Shine When You're in His Presence. Amen. David, have a blessed Resurrection Day with your family, and always great to have you on the show. The same to you, Bill. Thank you. You bet. David Wheaton has been my guest. The ChristianWorldview.org is where you go learn more about David and his show, which is on Saturdays. You can also hear a podcast at any time. We'll take a break and we come back. Pastor Randy George is going to join me. That's all ahead. long ago, I had Pastor Rusty George on, and he is the lead pastor at Real Life Church in Southern California. And out of his uh, gracious heart of his publisher and himself, they made available about 100 copies of his books, A Simple Path to Following Jesus. 
And if you received one of those uh, copies, raise your hand. All right. Well, well, a lot of hands went up. That's awful, awfully cool. But Rusty is going to j- join me today, and I think he's going to give us a little preview of his Easter sermon, which I'm excited about. Rusty, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, oh, a pleasure. Yeah, you made a, a big impression with your book. A lot of people signed up to get in on the drawing, and a lot of people got copies of books. We made a lot of people very happy, including us here at Faith Radio. Oh, that's so good to hear. I'm glad people are able to get it. Yeah, it was a big deal. It was a very big deal. People love, uh, they loved getting it. So thank you, thank you, and thank you to your publisher. Wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you. And Blessed Holy Week. I know you've got probably a lot on your plate coming up um, with services this week, and I think you're going to give us a little preview into the Easter sermon. Well, I would be happy to. Yeah. I'd be happy to. Uh, that would allow me to kind of work out some of the kinks before uh, exactly. this weekend. So exactly, <laughs> happy to do it. <laughs> well, uh, to set you up for what we're going to do on Easter, I have to take you back to Christmas Eve, where we uh, talked about how the manger actually casts a shadow for the cross. And so thanks to some great ideas from some friends of mine, I was able to uh put a cross together on stage. So I had boards up there on stage that I made into a manger, and we talked about the manger. And then I took the boards apart, and I fashioned them into a cross, which required a a great amount of pre-drilled holes and uh, some stencils in order for me to be able to pull that off. And somebody somebody who knows math. Exactly, (laughs) yes. So I put the cross together, and and put it up on stage and talked about this is, you know, what it means for Jesus to come to earth and all that. So with that in mind, knowing that there'll be a few people that haven't been back to church since Christmas Eve, uh, no judgment, but that's the reality, that uh, we're going to kind of carry that message on. And so we're going to talk about the passage where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we like to talk about the truth, we like to talk about the life, but the one we often overlook is the way. So what we're going to do is show a brief video of the manger being turned into a cross, but then the cross gets turned into a door. And then I'll have a door on stage, and we'll talk through what Jesus being the way actually means. So we should have some fun with this, and hopefully it'll be a memorable thing that uh, everybody will take with them. Mm. You know, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, nobody comes to the Father but by me. I I think, is that the world's most arrogant statement? (laughs) Well, one would think so, but let me give you a different perspective on that. I'm just saying, Rusty, if it's true, of course it's not, but it's a grandiose statement. Exactly. Yeah. If you are one of many and you're saying I'm better than the rest, well, <laughs> then then I guess that is a bit arrogant. But l- let me tell you a story. A couple weeks ago, I flew into Cleveland to go speak at a friend's church there just south of Cleveland. And I thought, oh, that'll be fun. I've never been to Cleveland before. And the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is there. So I thought, that'd be neat. I'd like to see that. So I checked my flight. I got in at 3.30 and I checked the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and they close at five. Now, let me ask you, Bill, does that sound like rock and roll to you? (laughs) It doesn't. It doesn't. (laughs) They should open at five, but they close at five. So I made mention of that to my friend, and I said, I found it funny that they close at five, so I'll just head from the airport out to your place. 
He calls me back a few days later and he says, I know a guy that's going to be there and open up the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for you. I said, that's incredible. And he said, just go to the front door. He'll be waiting on you. He'll let you in. You can get a brief tour and then head out our way. I said, that, that's amazing. Thank you so much. So let's say, for instance, I show up at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and I go to the door. He's standing there and he's opened it up. And I look at him and I say, thank you, but I'm going to choose a different door. He would look at me and say, there is no other door that's open. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, he would probably say, I'm the only one that is coming for you. And I think that's what Jesus is saying in this statement. Not, I'm better than the rest. And those are good options, but I like myself better. I think he's letting us know, I'm the only one coming for you. Mm-hmm. I am the way, as in the only way, and with that comes the life and the truth. Mm. Yeah, when people hear about there is just one way, people outside of mm-hmm. God's family take offense to that because they have friends who are Muslim and they have friends that uh, are Hindu, or they think, well, what about the people who have never heard any of this? You're telling me they're doomed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one everybody always wants to go to. I find that interesting that we always want to protect the people on the other side of the world that we don't know, care about, support, or feed. But when it comes to this issue, I think the the bigger question is, what are we doing with that information? Absolutely, now, Rusty. Yeah, I do believe that Jesus, you know, uh, can make Himself known. I think we we see that throughout scriptures. We read that in Romans one, where uh, God makes Himself known, even if they don't know about Jesus, they know about God. Um, I, I think that there are opportunities, and that's on us, too. And I think we're seeing over and over again how Bible translation is picking up speed. Church uh, planting is picking up speed. They're estimating within the next two to three years, all people groups may have been reached with some form of the gospel or uh, the written word. So we're getting it out there. What, what happens to those who have never heard, I know this. We have a loving God. And I think, as Dallas Willard said, he was going to let anyone into his heaven who can possibly stand it. <laughs> so, so he'll deal with that. What mm-hmm. we have to deal with is what do we do with the message we've heard? Yeah, I always kind of heap praise on people that say that because I, I usually say to them, I am so impressed that you care so much about these people. You know, if they <laughs> refer to like the pygmies in Africa, and I think, Wow, you are a much better person than I am because you you deeply care about these people. Uh-huh. And and to be exactly honest, I don't think mean. about them that much, but you do. No, no, only in our uh, apologetic rants do we think about them, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, and that you know that often is the the reason why some people choose not to believe in God too, because of the the hungry and the starving around the world to which scientists tell us we produce enough food in America to be able to feed everybody around the planet. We're just gluttons here. Yeah. So our, our interest in others uh, is certainly, um, you know, kind of used just to suit our arguments. Sure, but our defense mechanism will always try to produce reasons to try to, you know, discount you and what you're saying and, and get the heat off us and put it back on these poor people in Africa in this, <laughs> in this village. You're, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I think when we get to heaven, I'd like to meet these people I, from this, uh, yes. this little village. <laughs> I would, too. 
No, I, and I pray that there are missionaries that are reaching these people. I mean, that's a constant prayer that we go out and reach the entire world with the gospel, because that's what Jesus has asked us to do. Absolutely. And I think this that brings up a great point, that that passion for the pygmies in Africa, as you said, um, should motivate us to either go or to send those who will go. Yes, uh, yes. To pray for them. Um, I got a, a world prayer map somebody gave me that I keep up in my office. And every day there's 11 different countries uh, that I can pray for. And I love that because it it stretches my mind beyond just the immediate and certainly just America. Mm -hmm. Rusty George is my guest. Rusty was nice enough to uh, allow us access through his generous publisher, um, many, many, many copies of A Simple Path to Following Jesus, and they've all been distributed. So I think we're all done with that. Uh, But I just want to thank Rusty and hear a little bit of a preview of his upcoming Easter message and it's always uh, always great to, to talk with you. Um, when we talk to people about their faith, and, and they are um, always pushing, kicking the can down the road, just as Easter is getting closer, and I think people have kind of a big magnifying glass on their life. Their problems look mm-hmm. bigger. Everything looks bigger because it's kind of that moment to reflect on, on your life or God. I think Christmas is another holiday like that. Um, uh-huh. But how do we continue have to have this sense of urgency, Rusty? Because the gospel uh, should be on our hearts and lips every day. And there should right. be a sense of urgency that we, we want to share our hope and faith with others. That's a great question. Uh, I was reading the other day about how, for many of us, we feel like what we're supposed to do is sin less. So we spend the majority of our time thinking about sin (laughs) and how to avoid it. And his point was, we have 86,000, I think, seconds in a day or whatever the math turns out to be. What if you decided you were going to take those moments and turn them into thinking about God rather than just your sin or your avoidance of sin? I think the moment we shift our mentality to thinking about God, His presence in our life, the beauty in this world, the people that he's created, I think naturally some of that stuff begins to play out. We begin to see people not as, um, you know, problems to be solved or people in our way or nuisances, but we see them as children of God. Uh, We're more likely to be patient. We're more likely to cut out some of those sin of anger and greed and um, uh, pride because we're seeing everybody through God's eyes. So I would start with, how do I surrender every moment of my day to God, recognizing He's with me, and I live in His presence now? So once I begin to do that, I think it does become a little bit easier to think the way God thinks and see the world the way God sees it. Rusty, isn't it always a challenge to play the long game in your head all the time? Because when you think <laughs> of God's sovereignty in your life, and all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. And we realize that when you think about people who have passed on and now are in the presence of Christ, and all the worries they had in this world, um, how we just say, boy, Lord, whatever's going on in my life, I praise you. Right. Even if it's right. Even if it doesn't produce the results or the answers I'm looking for. Now, I know we're supposed to pray specifically with prayer intentions, but uh, God has information about my life that I don't have. 
Yeah, I was thinking about that passage in Hebrews 11, where you know we refer to that as the Hall of Faith, uh, where they, they list all these great people that did great things for God. And then they rattle off a whole bunch of people that never got to see the promise of God fulfilled in their life. In other words, they were a link in the chain, but they weren't the end. And I, I, that's a sobering thought to think of all of our efforts to make a difference, change the world, leave a legacy. Perhaps our contribution in this world is only going to set someone else up to, uh, to use a sports term, to get the ball across the finish line. Mm-hmm. And we're just blocking and tackling, or we're just calling some plays, or maybe we're just hiking the ball. Um, but it could be somebody else that does it. It really is a team sport. It is a long game. And it certainly is something that we get to be a part of, even if we don't get to see the finished result. Mm-hmm. Pastor Rusty George is my guest. He's the lead pastor at Real Life Church in Southern California. And he was also generous enough to provide a lot of copies of his book, A Simple Path to Following Jesus. If you got your hands on one, way to go. We'll take a little break and we'll be right back with Rusty. Pastor Rusty George, lead pastor at Real Life Church in Southern California. I think I've asked you this before, Rusty. Is uh, your first name Russell? It is. Okay, good. Yes. Yeah, because uh, it's. Uh, I, l- I love the name Rusty. It's a great name. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. You would assume I'd have red hair, but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Rusty, how can we be our best at being invitational to invite someone to church uh, this weekend or, or get a conversation on track with a family member at Easter brunch? Well, that's that's a great question. I think it really does start with praying for the person first. Yes, I agree. I think people can. I think, don't you think people can tell if if they're a project to you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, you know if, if you're just trying to, uh, uh, we all, we used to do this thing at my home church when I was a kid called fill a pew. And it was your responsibility to fill that pew, fill with mm. visitors. And uh, I always felt like, well, that, that's a little heavy-handed. So anyway, I, I think that for us, it starts with, all right, I want to pray for these people in my life. And I start with the people around my house that oftentimes I don't even know. I see them once in a while getting the mail or taking the trash out. But okay, if I'm praying for them and I'm praying for God to give me his heart for them, now I begin to care about them. Now I begin to hang outside a little bit longer. I don't just race inside to close the garage door and speak to no one. Uh, and I think you just begin to become sensitive towards what, what God might be doing in somebody's life. You know, the, the one thing that unites us all, regardless of race, color, or creed, is pain. We all feel pain. So I try to listen for things that are painful to somebody. And it could be something as small as we have a long commute, or my kids are teenagers and they're gone all the time, or uh, it's a really busy week. Okay, well, tell me more about that. 
uh, I think we all recognize the need to be heard. I mean, COVID taught us that, stuck in our homes, you know, on Zoom calls, people were just talking at each other. If you listen to somebody and ask two or three questions, it is a gift like they have probably never been given that day so far. Most of the time, they're just um, waiting to be heard. So prayerfully considering the people around you, asking them questions, and you know, eventually things will come up. And you could, if it's a really painful process somebody's going through, you could say, um, do you mind if I pray for you about that? You don't have to pray right there, but most people say yes. But then write it down, and then the next time you see them, ask them about that. Well, now you've built trust with them. Mm-hmm. You've not tried to sell them anything. You've just simply built a friendship. They know you care. You didn't forget about it. Um, and then, you know, something's going to come up at the church that you're going to be going to. It may be Easter. It may be Mother's Day. It may be a VBS program for your kids. Invite them to come along. A lot of times they're going to say no because they, they just don't know what to expect. Sometimes they'll say yes, but it's usually on the second or third invitation to something. They're going to take you up on it. And the great thing about you know online church now that everybody's experienced is you can share a service with them, and they can watch and see what it's like long before they go and recognize, hey, this might be kind of beneficial yeah. for me. Good point. I love when you said pray for them because that's always my first step. But maybe I can ask specifically, when you are praying, what do you say or ask? Because this is not a trick question. I have an answer if you can't think of one. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, we actually uh, spent the past 40 days, uh, I think it's 46 technically, through Lent. um, We told our people to fast from something in order to pray for someone. I like that. So uh, I gave up sweets. So every time I think about, boy, I'd like that piece of chocolate and a cup of coffee after dinner. Okay, I'll use this time to pray for my neighbor. Um, And in that prayer, uh, I would often pray things like, God, give me an opportunity to hear what's going on in their life. God, um, give me your heart for for these people. God, would you open up their heart or soften their heart to your message? Um, And then along with that, we did a a devotional guide called 40 Days to Easter, which can be done anytime. It's just a walk through the scriptures, uh, mainly the Gospels in preparation for Easter. And you can find that on my website, PastorRustyGeorge.com. But that became a great way for people just to think about how I'm praying for somebody for those 40 days. Mm -hmm. I always pray um, from Acts 16 that the Lord will, you know, open their heart the way he opened Lydia's heart. Because unless the Lord opens that heart, it's not going to matter too much what I say. And then I also, right. I also pray for timing. I don't want to be, you know, the Keystone cops that come in at the wrong moment, you know, <laughs> because I think sometimes people want to express feelings and not feel like, oh, here he comes with the answer to everything, even though I do right. have the answer to everything. <laughs> I do. I do. I'll tell you the truth if you want to know my opinion. Um I, I would I would definitely agree with that. And I think the really great thing to do in those moments where you do have a chance to talk to somebody is to follow up with a few questions and to empathize any way that you can. I've been there before. I know how that feels or, oh, that sounds awful. Those kind of things now build a bridge rather than just saying, oh, here's how you fix that, which I think us guys are really difficult uh, or have a lot of trouble with not doing because every time our wives say, they're having a problem. We just 
fix it as quick as we can when really they just want to talk. Mm-hmm. And as we get our own hearts ready this week, are you, um, I love the fact that you're giving up something in order to be praying for something. Is there anything else that you're doing in your, in your normal disciplines, adding anything to it? Or how are you preparing your heart for uh, pastoring and preaching this weekend? That, that uh, we have a lot of services and yeah, a lot of churches. Start, it? yeah. Our start tomorrow night, so we have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then several on Sunday. So I've been praying through the message, um, praying specifically for various people that I know will be attending or I hope will attend. Um, I, I've been praying a lot for individuals that you know, just kind of a I know this kind of person will be there. Will they be receptive to this? We do mass baptisms on Easter, so I'm praying for oh. those that are already choosing to do that and those that are going to be you know, baptizing family members or friends. Um, we're very excited about that. Um, but then something practical that uh, I've got a stack of cards here on my desk. I just got the basic you know, invite to Easter card, and my plan is to go through Starbucks and pay for the, cur- the person behind me and then just leave that with the barista there at the window mm. and just say, hey, Give them this and tell them that coffee's on me. No hard sales pitch. Just uh, here's the information. Because you never know. You never know if somebody's going to see that and think, oh, I'll check that out. And a lot of times they may not go to Easter, but when there is some kind of crisis in their life, or as a friend of mine likes to say, when that bug finally hits the windshield, they're going to need some help, and they're going to show up at that church. Yeah, people love belonging somewhere. They love being noticed and they love being invited. And, and w- w- once you notice somebody and that's noticing somebody, Rusty, mm-hmm. it does make a big impact. And it, it wouldn't surprise me at all that that would, that would put them into your church at some point. It does. I, I'm amazed at the people that will come to one of our events, whether it's a, uh, you know, a uh, uh, Halloween party. Uh, we do, <laughs> we pipe in snow out here. You guys don't have to do that there. <laughs> no, but, we don't. Uh, we we pipe it in for uh, various snowtacular events, and Californians just go bonkers for snow. So they come pouring out for that, and then we may not see them again. But what happens is, is when that moment happens that they need something in their life, they know this is the church they will go to because of that kindness extended to them for that snow party or Halloween event or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And then what is it like for you after this conclusion of this week? Are you exhausted? Are you exhilarated? Um, do, do you crash? Yeah, it, what happens? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird combination because, as you know, um, the Holy Spirit has given us certain gifts, and one of my gifts uh, is to be able to teach. So I'm energized because I've been used by God, but I'm physically exhausted. So it's kind of an odd combination. It's kind of like what some people experience if they work with kids, and they, they, you know, they've got that, that gift that God has given them, or they're very hospitable, and they're going to host a bunch of people in their house. They're, they're charged up, but then they're exhausted from the physical element of it. So we try to find time to just uh, to relax, to get away a little bit, uh, in this particular situation, we're going to spend some time with family in the days afterwards and just kind of, you know, recharge. But, you know, for people that work at a church, uh, the next Sunday is just as important. Right. You have people that return for the first time. And, yeah. And you certainly want to make a great uh, uh, second impression. So we uh, we talk to our staff about, 
yep, focus on Easter and the following week. So we make sure that we run past the goal line a little bit. Yeah, great. Thank you so much, Rusty, for spending time with me today and, and the listening family here at Faith Radio. Your book was a blessing to so many, and you're always a blessing when you come on the show. So thank well, you. Well, thank you so much. It's yep. always fun to hang out with you, and happy Easter to you. Happy Easter to you. Thank you so much. Rusty George has been my guest. You can go to PastorRustyGeorge.com to learn more about him. He's got some nice content there. His blog, his podcast, his resources, they're all there at PastorRustyGeorge.com. After a short break, uh, Dr. Randy Nelson will be joining. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I will be the only non-doctor on the show coming up in the next hour. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.